All right, let's get into the Word this morning, Mark chapter 10. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark, and as we've reminded uh, you the last couple of Sundays, uh, in the second half of the Gospel, uh, Mark is turning his attention toward the discourses, the teachings that Jesus is giving primarily to his disciples. His public ministry is kind of now in the rear view. He has left Galilee. He's traveled into the region of Judea. Uh, the cross is just days, weeks ahead, and the climax of his earthly ministry. And so we pick up in that as Jesus comes to uh, an, an encounter uh, with another group of people and children. And in this, there's an important lesson that he wants us to learn. While it is a public encounter, he presses an important reminder upon his disciples, one that they must not forget and one that we should not forget as well. So if you have your Bibles open, hear the word of God this morning. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray once more. Our Heavenly Father, we give our thanks to you now for this your holy word. The grass, it withers, the flowers, they fade, but your word, O oh Lord, it stands forever. And Lord, I pray today that your word would go out in demonstration and power of your spirit, that you would use it, Father, to accomplish your good and eternal purposes in our lives. And Father, I pray today that you would give us eyes that we may see. Lord, give us ears that we may hear. And Father, give us hearts that would be soft to believe what your word speaks today. For we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've already mentioned, our text today continues with Jesus on his journey toward Jerusalem. He's now in the region of Judea, and Mark records for us another public encounter. Uh, this time, parents are bringing their children to Jesus, seeking a blessing from him. Now, as we hear our passage today, uh, it flows very smoothly uh, this is an event that could have happened in actual chronological order, meaning Mark is simply relaying events as they happened uh, in the time of Jesus' ministry. And, and I think that's perhaps the case. But what I really want you to know is that this text today is placed here precisely. It's, pre it's placed here uh, in, in an important way to prepare us for the passage that's going to follow. So it could very well be that this encounter with these children and the parents happened previously or maybe even later in the ministry of Jesus, but Mark has situated it here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give us an important lesson. This passage today proceeds the passage for next Sunday where Jesus must either a rich young ruler who comes to him and asks, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. What must I do to gain entrance into the kingdom? And Jesus is uh, going to instruct him that there is nothing you can do. 
And Jesus helps us understand that with this encounter that he has further into Mark 10, especially the passage of the rich young ruler, that is, Jesus encounters him and then, again, has the private moment with his disciples following that, that in verse 24 of chapter 10, Jesus says to them, listen to this, children. He addresses his disciples as children. How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Did you hear what our text today is centered around? Children and the kingdom of God. Jesus is wanting us to understand something very important about the relationship between children and entrance into his kingdom. And so as we look at our verses this morning, there are two thoughts from the text uh, that Jesus gives us in relation to the children that are brought to him that we need to take away. Now, the first thought is, is kind of on the surface. Church, we do well to see it, to understand it, and to apply it to our lives and to our church, but it's not the main thrust of the passage. It's the second point where Jesus is really driving home uh, the lesson that he wants his disciples to take away. But let's begin with the surface level here. The first thing I would see uh, in the text and draw your attention to is that Jesus wants us to love children well. Jesus wants us to love children well. Now, I know that's basic. I know that's elementary. Uh, for many of us who grew up in the church, we learned this at a very early age, that Jesus black and white was the little children. All the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. But Jesus is reminding us of that here in the text before us. In verse 13, Mark gives us the scene that is unfolding. He says, and they... That they there is the parents. We know that because Luke's gospel, which also records this event, uh, uses the word parents. That parents were bringing children to him. When Mark uses the word children there, he uses kind of a generic word of age language. It could be a child anywhere from infancy up to about 12 years of age. But when you look at Luke's gospel in his recording, Luke uses a very specific word for children. And I would remind you that Luke was a physician, a very detail-oriented uh, individual, used a lot of precise words. And so as Luke records this event, he uses a word to speak of children that, that describes them as infants only, babies, if you will. So the scene that's unfolding here seems to be a group of parents, a large group presumably, uh, that had their infant children bringing them to Jesus, longing that he might touch them. Now, this aspect of Jesus touching these children uh, was bestowing a blessing upon them. This is couched in, in Old Testament Judaism. Uh, all the way back in the book of Genesis, we read of the patriarchs bestowing blessings upon uh, their children, fathers blessing children. It was a common practice among the rabbis of Jesus' day as well. And so certainly these, these parents were familiar with the ministry of Jesus uh, the, the works that he had done, the miracles that he had performed, and they longed for their children to receive a blessing from him. This blessing would uh, incorporate uh, laying on of hands. It would incorporate saying a special word over them, praying a prayer for them, speaking a word of a positive future for them. Uh, so they're bringing their children to Jesus, their babies to Jesus, and longing 
uh, that he would bless them in this way. So this is the scene. This is what's happening. But in the end, at the end of verse 13, Mark, Mark tells us something kind of perplexing. That the disciples, the apostles, the twelve, rebuked them. And that them is in reference to the parents. The, the disciples were rebuking the parents for bringing their children to Jesus. Because they exercised an aggressive authority. The word rebuke is, is a strong word in the Greek language. We've seen it previously in Mark's gospel. It was used in relation to Jesus as he rebuked the unclean spirits and exercising them out of individuals. It's a strong word of authority and rebuking in an with a delegated authority that Jesus has bestowed upon them or rebuking in an aggressive manner these parents for bringing their babies to Jesus. That's kind of startling, isn't it? Well, Jesus suddenly realizes what's going on, the scene that his disciples are making. I mean, it's even to the point that some commentators suggest that they're, they're pushing uh, these parents away. Don't bother Jesus with the children. Don't bring the babies to Jesus. He doesn't have time for the babies, doesn't want to do anything with the children. They're, they're pushing them back, and Jesus sees this, verse 14. And that word is used in Mark, indignant with them. It's the only time that word is used in Mark's gospel. We find it in other places in the gospels, other places uh, in, in the New Testament. And it's an even stronger word than the rebuke that the disciples gave. If the disciples were making a scene and how they were treating the parents coming to Jesus, Jesus is now one up that and how he is treating them. It's a word that means he was burning hot with passion on the inside. He was irate. He was agitated. He was peeved at what his disciples were doing in, in pushing back these parents. And Jesus says to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. When Jesus said those words, I believe the disciples had a moment of flashback. Jesus was clearly telling them, I want the children that are being me. I want the children in my presence. I want to bless these children that are being brought by these parents. Jesus gave them the instruction, do not hinder them. Those are the exact words that he said previously in Mark chapter 9. And another instance where Jesus had used a child as an illustration Presumably in Peter's house in Capernaum, Jesus was wanting to teach the disciples some important things again. He brought a child into his midst, set him upon his lap, and began to instruct them about the ways of the kingdom in relation to this child. And then following that, you remember it was John. Peter was calling out John. John said, well, we saw this guy casting out demons, and uh, he's not part of us, so we told him to stop. Like they'd done something really good and, you know, Jesus was going to give them a high five or something. And Jesus rebuked them. They do, he said, do not stop them. Do not hinder them. Exact same phrase, exact same words. And I believe when they hear Jesus speaking it here in Mark 10, that they immediately begin to realize, oh shoot, we've done it again. I mean, these guys, just they're just riding the carousel, right? It's just round after round after round. They're seemingly always getting it wrong. 
But Jesus says, do not hinder them. Bring the children to me. It's in this that we get a realization that Jesus loves children immensely. And Jesus wants us to love children also. Now, I say that and it sounds strange to us. But in the culture of Jesus here in Mark 10, children weren't highly valued. In fact, children weren't really thought much of at all. It wasn't until the year 325 that Roman law uh, finally uh, put an end to the practice of leaving unwanted children outside. Welcome to new child sheep. It was common in that culture that if a family welcomed a new child that they didn't want, they could just simply place it outside next to the, the trash cans and anybody coming along could have picked it up and taken it with them if they so desired. If not, the child just lay there and it died. That's how children were thought of in the culture. It did nothing to society, brought nothing to the family. They were a drain on resources, so they weren't thought much of. And it seems that that line of thinking has somehow, perhaps, entered into the minds of the disciples themselves. Don't take Jesus' time in dealing with these unimportant babies. But Jesus will have nothing to do with that. Jesus says, you bring the children to me because I love them immensely. And Jesus wants us to love children as well. Now, there's one extreme in the culture of the text. But in our culture, we've kind of gone to the other extreme, right? We almost love our children too much, if I could say it that way. We place them on a pedestal and our world begins to revolve around that child and, and everything's about the child. And we, we does it mean that we other ditch, if you will. Well, we don't need to do that. So what does it mean that we love children well? What Jesus is teaching us here in this text? Well, I think we hold children in the proper esteem that we realize they are a gift from God bearing his image and his likeness, and as such, we learn well. Let me just give responsibility in caring for them. So as we think about loving children well, let me just give you three ways that I think we can do that in our families, and especially in our church family. Number one, shepherd them. Shepherd them. It's a beautiful thing that these parents are doing. than a parent their babies, they're bringing them to Jesus. There's nothing greater than a parent can do in the life of their child than point them to Jesus Christ, than to shepherd them toward faith in Jesus Christ. Now, your faith can't be their faith, but your faith can have a pivotal role in bringing them to ability in their own life. And so as parents, we bear uh, the utmost responsibility, the greatest responsibility in being the chief disciplers in the lives of our children. And so let's make sure that we're seizing that. Listen, children are a great blessing. We can enjoy a lot of good things with our children. We can build a lot of memories with our children. Uh, lead them in a lot of different ways. But the most important thing we can do with them is to make sure they understand who Jesus Christ is and why we need him in our lives. So we need to shepherd them. And as a church, that's important for us also. Uh, that we're not here to simply entertain children when they come. Uh, we're not here just to keep them busy, but we're here to pass along the faith to that coming generation. That's why student ministry, that's why children ministry, this weekend with Dean Now, our children's choir, our children's ministry events, all of these are important opportunities whereby we can, we can shepherd our children toward faith appropriately. Secondly, invest in them. 
Invest in them. I know of no one who had a busier schedule than Jesus. I mean, Jesus was probably the busiest guy that there ever was. Everywhere he went, crowds were pressing upon him. If he wanted to get away, he kind of had to sneak away and to find some time alone by himself so that he could recharge, he could recoup. But every day with Jesus was pretty much wide open, doing the business of his father, doing ministry, preaching, teaching, healing, walking to his next destination, incredibly busy. But in this text today, Jesus has time to pause and to hold these babies that are brought to him. To put these little ones in his arms. To invest in them by praying a blessing over them. If we want to love children well as a church, let's make sure we're in, we have children. I would remind you, Poplar Springs, that unless we have children among us, there is no generation to come after us. And unless we're not pouring into them, investing in them, praying for them, then one day their children that we Poplar Springs Baptist Church. So it's wise that we invest in our children, that we, we pour into these ministries for the, the cause of the kingdom. Jesus here is investing in little ones. So shepherd them, invest in them. Number three, encourage them. This is what Jesus is doing. Greek 16. The text in verse 16, the language that Mark's using here in the Greek it implies that Jesus is taking them in his arms one by one and blessing them. Uh, that blessing incorporated a, a laying on of hands, a, a praying of a prayer, a, a word. And Jesus is doing that ever so lovingly, tenderly, caringly. And in doing so, he's encouraging these little ones. Oh, can I encourage you, Poplar Springs, to encourage our little ones? To not overlook them? As you see the children walking the hall, let them know that our ah, is going into their, their activities. Give a word of blessing to them. Let them know that ah, I listened to you sing this morning in service, and it was a blessing to me. Uh, let a student know that you're praying for them, and that they'll be strong in their faith. Ah, I think we live in a day and an age now in which our students are facing a culture the likes of which we could never imagine. And so they need our encouragement. They need to know that we're praying for them and, and holding them up to the Lord together. Jesus wants us to love children well. But then we come to the second part, the second point of the message. And this really is the main thrust. This is the heart of the text. And that is Jesus wants us to learn from children well. When we look back in the passage, verse 14, Jesus rebukes his disciples. He's angry with them. He says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. And here's his basis for that. Not only does he love them, but he wants us to learn from them because for to such, like these little ones, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then in verse 15, Jesus says, truly I say to you, I always remember this verse in the King James. That's the translation I grew up with. Some of you may be reading it from, it from it this morning. In the King James English, it says, Verily, verily, truly, he is about truly. And when Jesus speaks those words, it's an indication that what he is about to utter is of utmost importance. The ESV renders it, Truly, I say to you. This is an emphatic statement that Jesus is about to unload here. 
And he goes on and Shadrach does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. It's here in this illustration of children being brought to him that Jesus presses upon us the understanding of our God like a little God. Here Jesus is not calling us to a childish faith. He's not saying that we should be immature in our faith, like children sometimes are, but rather he's calling us to a childlike faith. He's reminding us that our relationship to the kingdom, our pray, is always that as a child. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven. In the epistles of John in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, there John writes, John who was here in this conversation, in this event, he writes, Behold what manner of love God has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. It's here that Jesus is simply letting his disciples know this is exactly what you are. You're a child in this kingdom. Your relationship with my Heavenly Father is that you are one of His children, and unless you come in that way, you have no part, you have no relationship. So Jesus is pressing upon us the importance, the necessity of having a childlike faith. Unless we stoop low as a child, there is no entrance into the kingdom of God. But what does that mean? What does it mean that we have a childlike faith? Well, Jesus is using this occasion where these little children are brought to him to, to stress this. Let me give you just three thoughts. There, in childlike fashion, means that we come humbly. We come humbly. This seems to be what the disciples had forgotten. They'd forgotten who they were. They'd forgotten how they arrived, where they were at. That it wasn't anything that they had done, but rather that that God himself had called them, that Jesus had chosen them. But now they were operating based upon their authority, based upon their achievements, and now they were pushing these children back from Jesus. And Jesus says, guys, you've forgotten already. You were fishermen, tax collectors, zealots. You were nobodies. And yet I've called you to myself. Jesus says when we come to him and receive the kingdom and are brought into a relationship with God, we come humbly. These children were a beautiful picture of humbleness and helplessness that was placed there before him. That's how we come to know Christ. These children give us a picture. It's a good word to become needy. Needy. That's a good word to describe children, isn't it? Needy. Oh, how needy they are. From the very beginning. And what I'm realizing as my children get older is that neediness really doesn't stop. And you're needy. They're just needy. We always are needy. Oh, that's how we come to God as well, isn't it? We need Him. We need his grace. We need his mercy. We come not demanding. We come not requiring. We come in great need of only what he can give. 
These children were dependent upon their parents, upon their mothers. They were dependent upon someone looking out for them. Their their need was so expressive. Jesus says, that's how you receive the kingdom. When you recognize your need for it. Those who think that they can make it on their own, those who think that they have something that they can give, oh, Jesus says, you'll never receive the kingdom. Because it's only for the needy who, like a child, receive it. And then third, these children are dependent. They're dependent. They couldn't make it. They required another. And that's what we understand about the gospel. The gospel reminds us, and this is where Mark's going in this very next passage with this rich young ruler. What must I do, he asked, to inherit eternal life? And the gospel teaches us there's nothing that we can do. And the gospel teaches us that if you're trying to do it all, it's not understood the gospel. You've not understood the entrance into the kingdom. You see, the gospel is not about what we must do, but rather the gospel is about what Jesus Christ himself has done. And our acceptance into the thing that we have accomplished of the kingdom, our relationship with God, is not based upon anything that we have accomplished or anything that we might have achieved. Rather, it's settled and satisfied on what Jesus Christ did at the cross. It was there on the cross that Jesus proclaimed, it is finished. It is finished. The work needed for redemption, the price paid for redemption, it had been accomplished. It makes us entirely dependent upon him. That our whole of eternity... Our basis before God is not achieved upon any status that we think we might have received here in this life, but rather is solely based on the work of Jesus Christ and what he has done in his life, his death, and resurrection. Later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is writing to believers in the church at Corinth. And they had kind of gotten caught up in their cliques and in their circles and trying to build themselves up having nothing, who they were following and, and what sect they might have been a part of within the church. And Paul is having nothing to do with that. He says, let me tell you what you are. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were to shame the wise. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For God. He reminds us of what it means to come in childlike faith, to trust in Jesus Christ. 
that we're not powerful, that we're weak, that we're foolish, that we're low, that we're not wise according to this world's standards. I wonder, are you willing to be counted as all of those things, to be considered as all of those things in order that you might receive the kingdom? Jesus tells us here, this is what childlike faith is. And it's only those who possess such a faith, only those who come in, in this particular fashion, in this particular way, that they're given entrance into the kingdom of God. So I wonder, is that how you've come? Is that the faith that you possess? I mentioned this at the beginning of our time in the Word this morning. But it should not be lost that in the next passage, as Jesus encounters this rich young ruler who asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He gives him the answer. The young man walks away sad. And then Jesus looks around and says to his disciples how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And they ask, amazed at his words, who then can be saved? And Jesus said to them, children, children of how you can be saved. Come like a little child. And today, if you need Christ in your life, if you're trying to figure out how do I receive the blessings of God, the promises of God, how do I enjoy the kingdom of God, how do I know that heaven awaits me for all eternity, come to Jesus in childlike faith. Let's pray.